0: Today is Communion Sunday, and today's message is basically, basically going to be about Communion Sunday. We do it the first Sunday of the month, and I'm going to be sharing different scriptures with you in many parts of the Bible. You ever want to stay in here today? That's good. I think little kids should hear the Word of God. Oh, by the way. Uh, if you're looking at the bulletin, make sure you change the uh, chapter number for Isaiah on the front. It's 55, 55. Yeah, as soon as I picked it up from the back this morning, early this morning, I looked at it, I started reading, reading what it said, and I looked down, and I'm like, that is not Isaiah 44. And, 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 and I've heard, uh, I won't say the name, but the person who, who does this she knows that it's Isaiah 55. But it is so easy to, uh, when you're on the computer and you're typing things up and you're pulling things from here and there, to forget to change a chapter. But anyway, it, it is very important that the little ones hear the Word of God. And don't think they're too young. They're never too young. And one of my favorite, favorite pastors uh, out in Tennessee, the kids don't leave the service ever. Now, they might, there, there are some uh, Sunday school classes that the kids go to, but when it comes to the normal service time, all the kids sit there. And, and sometimes he gets really boring just to test them, just to see how good they are. And I'm going to try not to be boring. And um, so. All right, so today, today's message is, is basically about the participants of the Lord's Supper. We've, I've talked a lot about the Lord's Supper and the Lord's Table, and I've even showed this as many months ago of how they're different. The Lord's Table is always available to you, always, if you're a believer. If you're a born-again child of God, the Lord's Table is where you get your nourishment, and you come there every day for nourishment. The Lord's Supper is something that we do here at the church. We come together as believers, and we uh, take of the fruit of the vine, which represents something very special to us, and we take of the bread, which represents something very special to us. Now, we know, we do, hopefully we know about those things. We know about the precious body of Jesus that was broken for us and the precious blood that was shed for us now what about us what about the participants me included we need to know that it's not for just anybody that shows up at the church now in the past when we were a different denomination we would say we don't want to single anybody out we don't want to make anybody feel bad and Anybody who walks in the door, you're free to come participate in this. That is actually very wrong. And a pastor who says that and allows that to happen is in danger, is in danger of suffering consequences from God. and we, So we, I, I take it serious. Now, for you to participate in the Lord's Supper, you need to be... Saved, you need to be very sound in the doctrines of the Bible, and you really need to be morally clean. Those three things really should be what the requirements are for you to participate in the Lord's Supper. Now, we're not going to be perfect on being morally clean, we're not going to be perfect on being doctrinally sound, but we need to be there to a certain point, and we need to be ever learning and becoming more washed by the Word. You know, there are some sins that we might struggle with that we may not even know are sins until we hear more of the Word preached, we read it ourselves, and we start to be convicted. You know, people might say, well, you think just because you know so much of the Bible that you're good. I'm like, no, actually, The more I read it, the more I realize how pitiful I am. I can't measure up, and I am dependent on Jesus Christ and what he's done for me. Now that gets you truly saved. So, are you genuinely saved? Genuinely saved. Because the Lord's Supper is for believers only. Believers only. We have many, many scriptures that we can go to throughout the Bible that talk about uh, believers coming into the church as far as becoming part of the body of Christ. We have many, many examples. I'm just going to go over some of them. In Acts 2 says, this is Acts 2, verses 41 and 42, it says... "...then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls." Now, if you know anything about Acts 2, that's when the day of Pentecost and the Holy Ghost fell, and uh, 3,000 souls were added in a day. Listen... And they continued steadfastly in the apostles, that's all of the apostles, doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, which we're doing today, and in prayers. Now, let's turn to Acts 20. Acts 20. If you want to turn there, and I'm going to read from verses 6 to 12. This is what happens when uh, believers come together and this is an example of it in Acts. Paul is preaching notice and we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them at Troas in five days and we abode seven days. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread... Now, what's the the first day of the week? It's a Sunday. So New Testament Christians meet on Sundays because of this right here. Then it says, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. All right, so Paul, he's got to leave. Tomorrow morning, he's got to go. He's got to continue on. So he's preaching on the first day of the week. It was a Sunday evening. So he's preaching, and he has gone on and on and on, right? You know, old preachers never die. They just go on and on and on. And that's supposed to be funny. If you want to laugh, go right ahead. And continued, all right, so he, all right, where was that? Preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. Now, that, why is that there? Why is that in Scripture? Why is that important that there was many lights there? Okay, see, see these lights burning right here? That's how, that's how they lit things back then. They had candles burning, they had oil lamps burning. So imagine all of those lamps being go- going right there, up, up here in that uh, chandelier, and then let's say we had other lamps all around here. So what's going, in, what's going into the air as you're burning all of that? Think about the, the gases that come off of that. Okay. And there sat in a window a certain ma- man named uh, Eutychus being... Fallen into a deep sleep. Now, so the reason they put that in there, that there was many lights, it's not Paul's preaching that's putting them to sleep. It's those lights burning and maybe a little bit of Paul going all the way to midnight. I mean, this has probably been three-hour sermon so far. And this guy, he is being, uh, you know, he's on the third level. He's way up there. So all the fumes are going up. And he has fallen into a deep sleep, and as Paul was long preaching... <laughs> why is he long preaching? Pre- he sunk, or this man sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. That's, it sounds dangerous to go to church. You could die. And Paul went down and fell on him, and embracing him said, "'Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him.'" when he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day. So they were there for this church service. I don't know how many hours till midnight. Then they had to raise somebody from the dead, and then they had to break bread, and then they talked for a long while, and then finally when it got light outside, it's like, oh, I guess we should uh, wrap up here. Because I gotta go. I gotta go to the next town. I'm I'm on a missionary journey. And they brought the young man alive and were not a a little comforted. Yeah, they were very much comforted and probably very tired. So, breaking of bread and preaching. That's what you do when you have a Lord's Supper. The saints meet together and they want to hear the word of God preached. They want to know the Word of God. Uh, You can go over to Africa, you can go over to Pakistan and risk your life to take the Bible in there and you go to preach and when people hear about it, they will travel for miles and miles and miles. And uh, I heard a story of a man just recently had gone to one of those countries. I, I can't remember which one it was now might have been Afghanistan. But anyway, he preached for four hours, and the people were upset that he stopped. But you've got to understand their situation. They're, it's horrible. And they're not allowed to have a Bible that, you know, without risk of life. They're not allowed to have preaching out in the open because uh, mean people will come and end it, and sometimes with blood. You know, here in America, we don't understand that there's people in this world that really want to hear the Word of God, and, and uh, when they finally get it, they really appreciate it. We just take it for granted. We don't, we don't seem to love it as much as other people in the world. So we need to be genuinely saved. Now, the, the, pre- the Bible says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness but unto us which are saved it is the power of god so the blind movie when they were making the movie and filming the movie they had to find actors and actresses and the person that they picked who won the job of playing Phil Robertson in the blind movie, he, is a, he was a non-believer. I don't know what he is right now, but I have a feeling I do, but he was not a believer, and he's playing the part of Phil. Now, there's a part of the movie where you get to the baptism scene for Phil. That's when Phil has believed on the Lord and the pastor that was not afraid to go talk to him and minister to him, and he finally they go down to the river and they're going to be baptized. Now the guy, the guy that's playing Phil, he's in his hotel room and he's reading the script. He's the one that they're going to be in the, having in the river and they're going to be saying these words and he's got to know this part because it involves him and he's, he's reading the script and he falls down in his floor weeping uncontrollably uncontrollably by reading the script of the movie and about what happens when Phil was baptized how and in the part of the movie that the script said that the old man is being buried and the new man is coming up out basically romans uh, 6 so when uh, the producer of the movie and different writers had, they were, they were looking at that part later and they were like, you know, they were getting ready to do that scene and they were thinking, you know, this is just too basic. It's too childish. It's just, we need to enhance it somehow. We need to change it to make it be better. And the guy who was playing Phil said, absolutely not. And he shared with them how he was reading the script and what it did to him and he said don't you don't you change a word so they left it alone you know i see the same thing sometimes you know you you want to be more exciting and and more dramatic and, and 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 you want people when you're preaching or teaching you want people to go oh wow that was so awesome you know and so you start trying to be more and more and if you get away from the simple message of the gospel of jesus dying on a cross and shedding His blood, if you don't keep it simple, you're not trusting that it's the power that can save us. That gospel story. So we got to make sure that we keep it simple for the little ones and for those that we think should know by now, but don't. I see it at the jail. You, You go into the jail and you teach about Noah's Ark and you think everybody would know that. There's people who don't know. There's actually people who don't, who don't know John 3.16. <laughs> and and as, as Christians, as people go to church, you're like, everybody knows that. But they don't. And we cannot take it for granted that people know. We have to be very, very simple in presenting the gospel and don't leave anything out. <clears throat> you may have heard it a hundred times. But that's okay. You should love it like it's the first time you're hearing it. There are three marks, three, three things that you can see in a person who really believes. And those three things are, he is saved by, by the grace of God. That's number one of a person who's really truly born again that person will admit and they will say that they are saved by the grace of God and that alone. All right, I'm turning to Ephesians and you don't have to turn there if you don't want. I'm only going to read three verses. But write it down. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8, 9 and then we got to read 10. Because if you don't And I'll I'll explain why. But look at at, uh, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. It says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's critical that you understand that. When you're explaining to someone how to come to a saving knowledge of your Lord and Savior, you need to make sure they understand it's by grace that you're saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. Now, make sure you read 10 along with it, because if you stop there, then you're not going to understand, you need to be the, the second two points of today's message, which is to be doctrinally sound and to be morally clean. Number 10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus unto good works. Shame on me for saying that. Good works. Well, it's here in the Bible. You know, when you truly believe you're a genuinely saved, born-again person, then Christ, through the Holy Spirit indwelling you, which is the next little point of this first point, is inside the Holy Ghost is inside of you and is giving you the ability to do good works. Okay? Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Not climb and struggle and, 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 and doing good works, but we just walk with Him because we're walking with Jesus. We walk in those good works. Little point number two of this first point of being genuinely saved. And I just mentioned it. He is indwelt by the Spirit of God. The Holy Ghost is inside of a true believer. Do you believe that? All right, 1 Corinthians. You're going to back up a little bit to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. All right, listen carefully. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 say, it says, It says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You, if you are a born-again child of God, you are not your own anymore. You were bought with a price. The Holy Spirit is now dwelling inside of you. Allow yourself to be used by the Holy Spirit to do the good works. You're going to be different. If, when you go watch this movie, this blind movie, you're going to see Somebody probably way worse than you've ever been. You know, it's hard for a person who has lived a really good, clean life to understand this. Somebody who was as wretched as he was, they see the difference. And and the people around them see the difference. They see how horrible he was, and then all of a sudden, he don't do those things anymore. And remember, I was telling you about, after, after Phil was saved, Remember I was telling you the the how his buddies, his drinking buddies, his dope smoking buddies all came back to his house and said, Come on, let's go. We're ready. We got a full a full cooler. Come on. And he went, The guy you're looking for is dead. And they're looking at Phil. He's like, he looks like he's alive. He said, No, the guy you're looking for is dead. He was buried with Christ. And the guy you're looking at now, he's been raised up to walk in newness of life, so sorry, the guy y'all are looking for, he's, he's dead. I buried him. And they thought he was nuts. And they left. Only to one day call him up and ask if he could show them the way to Christ. Years later. Years later. The third little point. A person who is genuinely saved. That person is obedient to the Word of God. The Bible will be your one and only guidebook for this life, for this Christian life. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119, 105. As we read and study the Holy Scriptures for ourselves, and obey what we find written therein, we will be led into paths pleasing to our Lord, and profitable to our own spiritual life, which enables us to be a blessing to others. So you're going to see these three things in a person who is truly born again. You're going to see that they know, and they don't take any credit whatsoever of the salvation they have. It's all what Jesus did on the cross. They will, they will say that. If they say any other, they're probably not really born again. If they talk about what they did, I did this, this, and this, and then God said, no, they're missing it. When they realize, I did all these good things, and they don't mean anything, you, you know you're dealing with somebody who understands that they accepted it as a free gift, and then they are indwelt by the Spirit of God. You know, so when the Holy Spirit gets inside of you, when you do read the Word of God, you all of a sudden have this ability to start to understand the things you read, and you're able to see the deep meaning of the Word and actually apply it to your life and to others. When the Holy Spirit is moving inside of you, you see things that you didn't see before. You have, you have a love for people that you couldn't stand before. And you will, your soul will be grieved that they're going to hell forever if they don't change, if they don't meet Jesus. All right, now, the participants of the Lord's Supper need to be doctrinally sound. So we're going to read this. I'm going to go over to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. And all of what I'm going to read next, as far as being doctrine and sound, they're all close together, so you should be able to flip back and forth. All right, this is uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. You ready? 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting with verse 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing, so that's the live people who are alive and dead, at His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry, for I am now ready to be offered. See, Paul is talking to Timothy and he's like, look, I'm about ready to get, get out of here. You know, he's going to die, which to him is gay, and he's not worried about it. And he's just making sure that Timothy's going to be able to pass on what he, uh, you know, he's going to pass the torch to Timothy. Timothy needs to be able to do the things that Paul had done because Paul's time is done. Just like we're on Wednesday nights, we're going through Deuteronomy, and Moses is making sure that Joshua is prepared to take the children into the promised land. We have to pass these things on. So he says, for I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. Well, how, how could he say that? I have fought a good fight because he believed that none of his righteousness saved him and that he was filled with the Holy Ghost so that he could do these great things. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Now, that has nothing to do with earning salvation. That's an, uh, that, uh, that is a reward that you will get when you get to heaven. It's just a reward. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Are you looking forward? to Jesus coming back? Or are you scared to death of it? That will tell you something about yourself. All right, now turn a little bit further on in your Bible to 2 John. Read a few verses there, 2 John. I'm not going to tell you what chapter. When you get there, you'll understand. Starting with verse 7. It says, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Notice, that's a reward, not earning salvation. That's a totally different topic. Now listen closely to these next two verses. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that abideth, or he that biddeth him Godspeed, is partaker of his evil deeds. Hmm. So don't uh, don't agree with the Jehovah Witnesses. Don't agree with them. Tell them to come on in and share the true gospel. Tell them that Jesus Christ is God. You could read this right here to them: Jesus is God, the Father the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ, the Son. They're one. And, and, and if anybody needs to hear that, it's a Jehovah Witness. And be bold in that. Tell them they will spend eternity in hell if they don't change from their beliefs and believe what the Bible says. <clears throat> Alright, now turn back a little bit to Titus, which is right after Second 2 Timothy. All right, listen quick. This is Titus, starting with verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the, and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness. In hope of eternal life, see, hope in the Bible is something that is going to happen and we're waiting for it. It's not, I hope I get eternal life, like we use that word today. That's not correct. But Bible hope is sure we're just waiting on it. So, if you're a genuine believer, then this is is for sure for you eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Notice it's God is our Savior. To Titus, my own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, so there's some things that need to be tidied up, there's some things that haven't quite been done yet, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be but blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. Now, these are qualifications for a person to be a preacher, an elder in the church. So let's, uh, let's move down, move over to verse 15. Unto the pure, all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure but even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. So if you're not doctrinally sound, you're going to have a very hard time being morally clean. Now, Titus is not a very big book It would take you seven minutes to read all of it if you're a slow reader like me. But if you go through the rest of this, you're going to see doctrine and soundness. You're going to see some really good stuff. So I would love to read all of this to you. It wouldn't take that long, but I've got to keep moving. So please read it on your own. Read the rest of Titus. Morally Clean will be the next one. I mean, I've got... A whole li- I, got, I got seven things as far as being doc- doctrinally sound that I would love to go over and get into all seven of them. Now, I'm going to say them to you really quickly in case you want to make notes of it. And, and another time we might be able to get more into it. But here are the seven things that you need to be doctrinally sound in. <clears throat> Number one, The Bible is the divinely inspired Word of God in every part. You have to trust that. And and over the last several weeks and months, I hope that I've made that clear as far as what you can trust. The Bible you can trust. Okay? Number two, the essential and eternal, eternal deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. I just talked about that just a second ago. It's something you must believe, that Jesus is God in the flesh. He was manifest in the flesh on the earth. Uh, We even talked about uh, 1 Timothy 3.16, not that long ago, and how it's a corrupted verse in many Bibles. It takes away the deity of Jesus by taking God was manifest in the flesh and changing God to He, It takes away Jesus, okay? All right, that's just an example. Number three, the necessity for and the eternal efficacy of Christ's substitutionary sacrifice. Something is critical that you believe doctrinally. Number four, the ruined state of all humanity. Talked about that last week, about we, we come into this world by nature and by practice, we are doomed. And we need uh, number three, which was Christ's substitutionary sacrifice, okay? Number five, that salvation is wholly of grace, completely of grace. We've already gone over that. Number six, the deity and personality of the Holy Spirit. You You need to know, you need to believe that The Holy Spirit inspired the Word of God, convicts the sinner of his needs for salvation, and and upon a person receiving that by being convicted of the Holy Ghost, then you're sealed until the day of your redemption, right? You're sealed by the Holy Ghost. You need to believe that. And then number seven, and this has become very unpopular in churches, and that is you need to understand that because of a person dying, unrepentant, either rejecting, neglecting, or despising the salvation provided by the Son of God, that he will spend eternity in hell. Wrath, fire, burning, horrible. Well, that's been downplayed and downplayed and downplayed in the churches. That's number seven. And if you need to go back over that, see me later. Now, being morally clean. I want to get to that. In Philippians 1, 27 says, Only let your conversation, which means manner of life. If you see conversation in the King James Bible, it doesn't mean speaking. That's only part of it. But when you see conversation, that's the way you live your life. And the way you live your life speaks way louder than what you say out of your mouth, right? You can say all the right things. You can actually, I know people who knew the Bible really well. I mean, they, they knew the Bible. They talked about how much they prayed. And they bragged about how many scriptures they had memorized. But they were horrible living their life and their witness was destroyed. You know, there's there a, there a character in, uh, I don't, uh, Lois will probably remember, when, when you read uh, Pilgrim's Progress, there was all these characters, got these clever names, Well, there was one called Talkative. Remember him? I remember her coming to me, talking about Talkative. Now Talkative, Bunyan said that uh, Talkative... And in the book it says, who was a saint abroad, which means when he came out in public or came to church, he was a saint, but a demon at home. That was talkative. So he gets out amongst other Christians, everything's good, but when nobody sees, they're terrible. They're a demon. We need to be morally clean and being doctrinally sound gives us that knowledge of how to be morally clean but if you miss the first point and you're not genuinely saved it won't do you a bit of good to be doctrinally sound and morally clean in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that is that terrible story of Paul has is writing this letter to the Corinthian church the Corinthian church they were doing all kinds of churchy things. They were prophesying, they were, they were speaking in unknown tongues and bragging about how spiritual they were, but yet they had a person right in their church who called himself a brother that was doing a horrible sin of fornication, and it was the type of fornication that not even the unbelieving Gentiles would even speak about because they were embarrassed about it. But yet you're allowing that person to come into your church being that morally unclean and wondering why you're suffering. And Paul said, why haven't you made a judgment on this? Because I've already judged. And now I'm getting after you for not cleaning it up. And he said, you need to turn that brother over to Satan so that Satan can kill him before he loses his salvation. I don't believe you can lose your salvation. And I believe that's the last step that God uses to keep you in, is He lets Satan kill you before you get to the point of it. And I think that's why Paul was telling them, you're better off turning a person over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so at least the Spirit will go to heaven. <clears throat> we must be those three things. Now, I'm going I'm to pray over the sermon... And then we're going, to, we're going to go to communion. And this will just give us a good place to kind of end it for the podcast sake. And then we're going to um, just speak a little bit about communion. And then we're, we are going to just offer it to anybody who wants to participate. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, I pray that each and every one of us, that are here today, that we have come into your house to be with like-minded brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, when we become the temple of the Holy Spirit, then we are joined together as parts of the body. And Father, help us to understand what part we are, Father, help us to understand that it takes all of us joined together to do the work that you've called us to do as a church in this community. Father, I pray that each and every person will really understand salvation. Father, that they would believe just in, only in your gift of Jesus Christ on the cross shedding his blood for us. Father, I pray that if, if there's anybody who didn't really understand or is trying to make too much of salvation, that they would simply believe on that. And Father, I pray that as they do, that the Holy Spirit will rush inside of them and they will be uh, understanding that they have just buried the old self and that now they will rise up out of that a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And Father, that now with the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, we will be able to understand those doctrines in your wonderful Word, and we will be able to see that they're not anything grievous, they're not anything hard, but that by the same miracle that saved us, we can live a sin-free life, by walking in the Spirit, by allowing the power of the gospel to give us the ability to say no to those things, and when temptation comes knocking at our door, we can confidently say that that person is dead, and the new person who's been raised to walk in newness of life is now here wanting to do the things that please their Heavenly Father. Father, help us to see the areas in our life that we need improving, that we need, that we need help in. And Father, just give us the, the ability to believe on those facts that we see in our Bibles to give us victory in all areas of our life. And Father, as we now get our hearts ready to receive of the elements of the lord's supper father i pray that you would convict each and every one of us just and help us to think of anything that we're holding on to that you know some unforgiveness or some things that we just need to clear out father i just pray that we would see those things and that we would just set them aside that we would get rid of them and father that we will concentrate completely on you, and that we will do this out of remembrance of what Jesus did for us. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.